You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Man, well, good morning, Midtown. Uh, good to be with you guys. What a wonderful morning. I love baptisms. So special. And yeah, God has really already been praised this morning. Look forward to continuing our worship together. Uh, for one of our staff, I did you notice while I was backstage, I got a text that someone's at the, the door waiting. So, oh, got it. Sweet. Good news. We've got people still wanting to join us. Uh, awesome morning this morning. Um, I know we probably do have some visitors because of the baptisms, as well as some that I just met uh, this morning already that are here for the first time. So I thought I would introduce myself. My name's Justin. I serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown. And I want to give you just a little preview of what we're going to do this morning. We're, we're continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. And we're actually going to make this be the last week that we teach on Ephesians because we're going to take a five-week break during Christmas and do an Advent series before continuing Ephesians in the spring. And if you've been with us, you know that the book of Ephesians talks a ton about the implications of the gospel. That's why we've entitled the series, The Gospel And, because throughout the whole book, Paul's continually mentioning all the things that we have in Christ. That's kind of his word for saying, because of the gospel, what God has done for you in Christ, here's what he calls all these glorious riches. And so if you haven't been following with us, I'd encourage you to go listen to the podcast, because each week we've talked about the implications of the gospel, and what it's brought is not just eternal life, but it's brought all kinds of changes that are part of these glorious riches. And so today we're going to talk about really what it's like to be in the family of God. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we've talked really extensively about how what Christ has done in his death and resurrection didn't just bring reconciliation between us and God, but it brought reconciliation between us and each other. And so now we have people from all different cultures and races and and, and backgrounds that have been brought into one united, what Paul calls a new humanity, a new family, the body of Christ. And so he's been teaching them, and we've been looking at it together about unity, because all this stuff is true spiritually. Now we have to apply it as we work together as one family. And today we're going to close this section of Ephesians. Before we pick it up again, we're going to talk about the gospel in growth, specifically about how does it look like the gospel, if we're this new family, how do we grow as a spiritual family? Now, because we've had uh, baptisms, this is going to be a little shorter serving than normal, but we're still going to have a lot of fun together. And if you are an outline taker, I'll tell you right away, we're going to do three things. We're going to look at three people. We're going to look at laity, clergy, and Jesus. So there's going to be three people that we look at. Now, I know that's kind of churchy terms. Maybe you've never heard of what's laity and what's clergy. So laity is really just a word that means like non-church staff people. It's like everyone else that's part of the church that's not on staff. That's the laity. Then we're going to look at clergy, which that's kind of a fancy word to say. That's like ministers or priests or in our circumstance, we just say staff people, elders, the leaders of our church. And then we're going to look at Jesus. And we're going to ask a question with each, with each of them as we talk about their role in helping build and grow the church. We're going to look at one question with each of them. Where can they get it wrong sometimes? Where can they get it wrong? But before we do that, let me ask you guys a question. If you are at work or class tomorrow morning or on Zoom tomorrow morning and someone says to you, what did you do yesterday? And you're thinking particularly about your morning, what would you say? Think about it in your head, you're at the water cooler, you're in your Zoom meeting, someone says, what did you do yesterday? Now, I bet you a lot of you thought, a lot of you thought this, you say, uh, I went to church. Now, if you said you went to church, like, that's a, that's a good answer, but you're a little mistaken, and I guess at least it depends on what you meant by when you go to church, because the church is meant to be a people. It's the family of God, it's the gathered people of God, and so it's not a building, This isn't church because we're sitting in here. This isn't church as an event on a Sunday morning. It's not church. Church is the people. 
I know it kind of sounds like it's semantics, but it really makes a big difference in what you think about what your role is in being part of a church, whether you just come to a church or whether you see yourself as part of the church. And so what I think would have been great to say to your friend tomorrow would say that I went to a worship service with my church because worship's what you did, but the church is who you are with. I want you to kind of hold that thought as we walk through this, because as we get into the the laity and the the clergy and ultimately Jesus, it really wrestles with that question of what is the church and what is our role that we play? So we're going to jump into Ephesians 4, starting in verse 7, and talk first about laity. Laity here, verse 7, but each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why he says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher, or higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. We'll come back to verse 9 and 10 in a minute, but if we can, go back to verse 7. And in verse 7, you see this. First word, but. <laughs> but to each one of us, grace has been given. If, you're, if you study the Bible, you know that when you see the word but, you're kind of supposed to say like, well, what, what is he contrasting? What did he mean before? And so you kind of have to go back. We're kind of join, jumping into the middle of a chapter, middle of a thought. And so what his butt is referring to is what he said in the verses before, where he said this, like we looked at last week, but there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. You see it, right? One, 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 one body, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. And now you get this but, contrasting but to each one of us, grace has been given. What he's saying there is that even though we have unity and we've all been brought into one new family, there's diversity in the spiritual gifts that God has given us. That's what he's talking about, the grace that has been given us. But each one of us, grace has been given. It's like my favorite bumper sticker says, always remember you're unique, just like everyone else. I know you're smiling under those masks. I, I, can, I, can, I can feel it, something like that. That's what it means, that we're unique, that he has given us every gift and then he's actually quoting a psalm. Once you get into that, that end of verse 8, he says, when he, that's why it says when he ascended on high. He's actually quoting from a psalm. That psalm is referencing what was kind of the imagery of the day of like when a king would go and invade a land, they would take all the plunder of the people that they had beat, and then he would give them and distribute them as gifts to all the warriors that went with him. And so what this passage is doing is, is Paul's taking that psalm and using it as a metaphor for what Jesus did, that when Jesus went down to hell, when he died, when he rose again and ascended, He conquered all of evil, and then he gave gifts to men. He distributed spiritual gifts to all of us. That's what it says there at the end. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, again quoting this psalm, when he ascended on high, he took many captives. He gave gifts to his people. And what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? What does he ascended? uh, He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. He's saying that that's what Jesus did in his death and his resurrection, that he descended into the earth and he ascended in his resurrection, ultimately ascended back to heaven. And as he did, he distributed spiritual gifts among all of us, that we can be one family, yet we have diverse gifts. Now, we're not going to get into it today because we don't have time, but if you were to read Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to write that down, those are the two passages that list a whole list of spiritual gifts. So Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Those are the two primary passages. You also get this here in Ephesians 4 and also 1 Peter 4. So you've got these gifts that are, that are, that are given, and there's, there's a lot of them that are listed. They're not actually the same list, so we know that there's multiple gifts that he gives. 
Some of them are speaking gifts. It's like gifts like encouragement or teaching or evangelism or prophecy. Then there's lots of serving gifts, things like uh, mercy, administration, faith, discernment, and giving. But here's the point. If you were to read Romans 12 and you were to read 1 Corinthians 12 and take all that was said about spiritual gifts, you'd at least come away with these three primary things. One, we all have different gifts. Two, that we all, they're all needed and we need each other. 1 Corinthians 12 in particular does a really good job saying you can't think, you know, I don't need you. And you also can't look at your gift and disparage yourself and say, well, I'm not really needed. I don't count. We all have gifts. We're all needed. And then maybe most importantly, this third one is that these gifts are made for building up of the church. So we're talking today, today the, the title of the sermon is Gospel and Growth. If we're to grow as a body of believers, everyone has to maximize and use their gifts. We all have different gifts. That's why all of us are a minister. Every member of the body of Christ is a minister. And, and if you'll indulge me, this is what I want you to do, because this is the main thing I want you to walk away with. There's a couple things, but this is the main thing, is every member is a minister. I want you to, to get that. So will you say that with me? Every member is a minister. One more time. Every member is a minister. You guys on Zoom? Every, minister, every member is a minister. <laughs> Easy for me to say. And that's really what Paul's trying to say here. When he's talking about the body of Christ, that we are all united, but what the beauty of the body of Christ is there's diversity in all the gifts that he's scattered about and given to people, all different gifts and varying degrees of each different gift. So every person is a minister. And if we're going to grow as a body of Christ, if we're going to grow as a church at Midtown Church, every one of you has to assume that you're a minister, that you don't go to church, that you are the church, that you're needed in this church. Your gifts must be used. Because you see, here's where the laity gets it wrong. I said we're going to ask a question. Here's where the laity gets it wrong. Lady gets it wrong when they think and act as if the clergy are responsible for building the church. Like if it's, a, if it's an understanding that you think that Jake and I and Josh or others that are staff and our elders, that they're the ones that are supposed to build our church, you'd be wrong. You'd be thinking about it all wrong. That's where lady gets it wrong. They, they look to their leaders as if they're supposed to be the ones doing the work when you are supposed to use your gifts. Lady gets it wrong also when they think about going to church rather than being the church. If they think of church as a, a thing out here rather than a body that they're a part of and an integral part of that needs to use their gifts. And finally, lady gets it wrong when they don't use their spiritual gifts to build up the church, to grow the church. If you're lazy, if you're dormant, if you don't think you have much to offer, if you're selfish, you're not using the God-given gifts that when Jesus rose from the dead, he gave them to you. And he wants you to use them. Now, let me make a very important concession, um, and that's that particularly for those of you who are seekers or new believers, I'm sure that we have some that are on, a, on our Zoom or here with us this morning, that those of you who are in that category, just seeking, trying to decide what you believe about the faith, let me say that one of the things that we really believe is this worship on Sunday mornings is like the first step of our discipleship process. Like we, we believe that this is important and this is a great place for you to seek and there's no expectation for you to use your gifts or serve our church or do anything in any way because this is the first step that you're taking. But to those of us who are a part of this body, like there's an expectation that we would use our gifts and maximize them and Sunday wouldn't be the only thing that we're a part of. We wouldn't look at this as that this is church where clergy gives us our goods. But no, we're part of a body of believers where we're all using our gifts. And if you're a seeker or a new believer, we actually want to encourage you by letting you know that's what, is expected, that's what we expect. That's what a body of believers do. 
And that would be a tangible next step for you to get involved in community. We want Sunday morning to be a place where all of us experience the love and service of God. That's why we worship like we do. It's why we, every time in our sermons, we're talking about the good news of the gospel because we want it to move us and let that be the thing that moves us to love and serve each other and Austin with God. That's what's meant to move us, to mobilize us and use our spiritual gifts that God's given beyond a Sunday morning. Every member is a minister. Remember that with me. A challenge to you, like all of you who aren't staff, all of you who aren't elders or women's leadership team, not on the highest levels of leadership in the church, the lay people. Do you want Midtown Church to grow? I'm not talking about just numerical growth. I mean growth into maturity, the type of growth we're going to talk about here in these next few verses, spiritual maturity, growing into Christ. Well, it's not going to happen if you don't use your gifts. We want more for you in that. Let's look now at the clergy, because then Paul addresses a new group of people in verse 11. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. And here's what he gave them to, right here in verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, in other words, to grow, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, again, growth, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul states here that some have really unique gifts, and their gifts are supposed to be used to equip everyone else in their gifts. Now, there's, there's considerable debate, actually, about this passage, whether it should kind of be lumped in with Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 as like a list of gifts. Um, other people actually interpret it as these aren't necessarily talking about gifts when he lists these five here, but these are actual roles or offices. Um, I tend to kind of believe that he's, he's talking about these as offices, like specific roles, largely because of what they're commanded to do and how they're supposed to use these roles, where he's really clear here. I do believe that all people can have the gifts of, uh, all, all laity and clergy can have the gifts of apostleship, uh, of evangelism, of being a pastor, a teacher, or evangelist. Those are active gifts in the body. But I think here this passage is referring to specific roles of leadership. And they're given these roles and these, these gifts for one distinct purpose purpose, to equip the saints for works of service. So you see what the clergy are supposed to do? See what your church leadership are supposed to do? Their role is to equip you to maximize your gifts so that we can grow into maturity and attain the fullness of Christ. The fullest picture of Christ is represented when we're all maximizing our gifts and your leader's responsibility is to mobilize you and equip you to practice those gifts. Back in verse 11, just to see it one more time real clearly. So Christ himself gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. For what purpose? To equip the people for works of service. The goal, that we be built up, that we mature, and that we would attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Give the world and to give our city of Austin the greatest picture of Christ as we all do our parts in, in his body. So I'm asking this question primarily of our leaders now, but where does clergy get it wrong? Where could I get it wrong? Where could our church staff and our, our elders and women's leadership team get it wrong? Clergy gets it wrong when they think and act as if they're responsible for building up the church. That can happen. Your pastors and leaders can put the weight of building up the church on themselves and think that they're the ones that are responsible for doing it, and they're the most gifted, and they're the ones that God wants to use to do everything. It's completely wrong. Second way that clergy gets it wrong is when they think about providing church providing church services, or providing a church rather than being church being the people of God. Just as lady can kind of get confused and look at church as just a place where you go or something that you do for a couple hours, clergy can do the same thing. 
They can accidentally find themselves where all they're doing is just trying to provide service and goods to meet needs, and they've lost track of what Paul says here is the main role of church leadership is. It's to equip the saints to use their gifts so the body could be built up. And finally, clergy gets it wrong when they don't use their gifts to equip the members to be ministers. If we say every member is a minister, then every leader is supposed to be an equipper. Now, obviously speaking to a much smaller portion of our congregation when I'm challenging uh, clergy here, but I'll just use myself as an example. If I spend the bulk of my time and energy planning Sunday services, I think that I'm, I'm getting it wrong. If I see my responsibility as merely providing goods and services for people, I think I'm getting it wrong. If I put the spiritual and emotional weight of seeing Midtown Church grow on my shoulders, I think I'm doing it wrong. And if I'm content, or if I allow members just to sit on their hands without calling them to engage in Midtown communities and to join training huddles and learn how to use their spiritual gifts, then I'm also doing it wrong. And if you think clergy aren't tempted to settle for these lives, <laughs> you're, you're very wrong. But I'm also very happy to say at Midtown Church that we, your leadership, fight against this to a great degree. By God's grace, our leaders, our elders, our deacons are trying very hard to help everyone in our church take steps of faith so that they can maximize who God has made them to be. We want to see every member become a minister to this body. We want to see every member become a missionary to Austin. Like, that's our heart. That's our heart for you. We don't want to limit you. We don't believe that we can do more than you can. We want you to embrace a vision for your life, to hear God's call and purpose on you, something unique that he's made you to do, some platform that he's called you toward, that you can do things that we never can. And if we want to reach this city, it's not going to be because of me. It's going to come when we actually equip you to be ministers and missionaries in our city. That's our desire for you. You hear us say uh, most weeks our identity statement, that we say that we're a family that's been loved and served by God compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. I just want to pull back the curtain a little bit and show you how we're trying to do that. And really the three communities that we have, we have on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday morning, we want this to be the place where you experience the love and service of God. First part of our statement, that every week we want this to be a place where you experience God's love, you feel the way that God has loved you and you're compelled by the way he's loved you to take the next step of your faith. And that would be primarily what you do within a midtown community a place where you learn to use your spiritual gifts to love and serve each other. We can serve each other on Sundays, and there's plenty of people who helped in a very stressful way this morning getting everything ready. But our love and service is, is not limited to how you serve on a Sunday morning, on which team you're at. That's a small part of what our hope is for you. It would be that you'd engage in a midtown community and you'd use your gifts to bless the people in your life and in your circles in our church, that you would be the minister to each other. And then finally, our training huddles, we want to be a place where you learn to use your gifts to love and serve Austin. It's where you're trained to be a missionary. And so I would challenge all of you uh, here in, in person, those of you online, if you're not part of a Midtown community, would you join one? Like, that's the next step. Like, if you really want to maximize your gifts and be used by God to, to be the ministers and not just a member, that's where you do it. That's the first place where you join community. And let me encourage you, even if you're part of a Midtown community, because you can slip into thinking this way, you think if you're part of Midtown College, you might say, well, well I just want to go to see what I can get out of it. Well, that's the wrong mindset. Like when you join a community and you get a group, you need to join a group with a mindset of how can I minister to others? How can I meet others' needs? 
Like that's what we're trying to do in these environments. And as far as our training huddles, I know we just kicked them off so they're relatively new. Maybe you haven't heard of these yet before, but we've got a good round of them going right now. There's going to be another round in the spring. Uh, here's some of the ones that we have that will be coming up. We've got missionary training. It's basically teaching you how to live like a missionary right here in Austin, wherever you live, work, or play. We've got discovering your calling, one that will help you discover what your spiritual gifts are and how God has made you and how you could leverage that to, to be his minister in the city. Inductive Bible study, which teaches you to, earn, to understand the Word of God, how to apply it and hear God's voice for you. Perspectives on world missions, we're likely going to get that one started, where you're going to learn what God is doing in the world and how you can be a part of it. And then finally, the spiritual formation one-on-one, where you're going to learn what it means to be a disciple and how to disciple others. These training huddles are, are vital for our church's growth because it's there that we're actually equipping people for works of service like the clergy is called to do. So I could, for a minute, speak to you who are leaders in our church. Get on board with us on this. Like, you have got to be equipping other people. If you've grown in your spiritual maturity and you've been gifted and you're ready, you should be leading other people. You should be helping us equip the saints so we're continually equipping each other to, again, the purpose, to grow into maturity in Christ and represent Him fully to the city. Now, let's look at one last person. This last person is Christ. The best part here. In verse 14, it says, Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament and grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in verse 14 and 15, but notice what Paul says. When every member is acting like a minister, when every leader is acting like an equipper, what happens is it causes spiritual growth. We move from being an infant that's tossed back and forth to growing into maturity and ultimately representing Jesus to the world. And we do it by loving each other and every part doing its work, as it says there. It builds itself up in love as each person, each part of the body does its work. But the final point, most important one I wanted to draw is in this last verse, really the, the second half of the last verse and the last verse, is who is our head? First, I want to point that Christ is the head. And second, I want you to see that he is the head of the church and he's the one that's ultimately responsible for him who is the head, that is Christ. It's from him that the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We have to get that. We have to know that from Him, it's all from Him, that He's the one that pursued us. He's the one who saved us. He's the one who birthed the church. He's the one who distributed the gifts and gave them to us. He's the one that is ultimately going to fulfill what He aims to do through the church. To Christ be the glory. Whenever I'm thinking and dwelling on this, I'm often drawn to the, the first time that Peter makes his confession of Jesus being the Christ. If you remember, Jesus asked the disciples, like, who is it that people say I am? Who am I? And Peter says, well, you're the Messiah. Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And he didn't say, you will build the church, Peter. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. It's his church. He's the one doing it. Second verse that I always think about when I think about this truth that Christ is the head of the church, I think of, of John the Baptist. 
In John chapter 3, uh, some of Jesus' disciples or some of John's disciples come to him, and, and Jesus is actually starting to, to baptize more people than John. And so they come to him concerned and say, hey, hey, Jesus is starting to baptize more people than you. And I love John's response. He said, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. He must become greater and I must become less. Because he recognized the bride, another word used for the church, that this church, this people of God, they belong to Christ. They're not mine. I'm not competing with them, guys. <laughs> the church belongs to the bride. And he must become greater and I must become less. And I love to dwell on that fact because for me, it means that I don't place my identity whether we're successful or not or whether I see church growing or not because he must become greater. I must become less. The, the bride is his. I don't have to compare myself to other churches or other pastors in order we as a church have to do that because we're confident that this is his work ultimately and he's the one worthy of our worship. Now, I'm not going to ask the question, how did Christ get it wrong? <laughs> he didn't. So in this third one, I'm going to trick you. I'm going to ask the question, how do we, both church, both clergy and laity, how can the church overall get it wrong? The church gets it wrong when the laity trust in their clergy rather than in Christ. If you're looking to us more than you're looking to, for Christ to do this work that we're aiming to in our church, you've got it wrong. Same for the clergy. They get it wrong when they're trusting the laity. They may strive to equip people, but if we're putting our hope in you, we're getting it wrong. And finally, the church gets it wrong when we trust anyone or anything rather than the one who told Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. So I'll say to you, laity, <laughs> let's move from being members to being ministers and use the gifts that God gave us. And to you clergy, let's move and do what Jesus said. Let's become equippers of new leaders. And I'll say to all of us as the church, let's keep our eyes and our worship on the one who birthed the church and the one who promised that he will build his church. I think it would be appropriate if we would respond and worship of him now together this morning. Let me pray. God, we do want to become a maturing church. This picture is so, so beautiful here and how we can grow to a, the whole, attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, and we want to do that. And so I ask uh, for, for us on staff and leaders and elders and leadership teams of our church that you would use us to be equippers and will we never settle for anything else. And I pray, God, for everyone here that they would not as laity would not look to the church as just a place that they go or a thing that they do, but they'd see themselves as an integral part of the body called to be your ambassadors to the world all over this city and platforms far beyond the scopes of this building. Mostly, God, we pray uh, that you would build your church and you would give us a confidence and trust, a love for you that would worship you as the one who birthed and will build the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.